We will be in uh, John, uh, back in chapter 5 again. Uh, last week we uh, started there in verse 19 and following with this uh, discourse of Jesus where he was teaching. And we got part of the way through it, but I want to go back, I want to look at the whole thing as a unit because when you look at something like this as a unit, sometimes there there is an overriding theme to it or maybe several themes Uh, Maybe there is something that you will catch that is important that you don't get if you just take it piecemeal. And that's the case with this. And I want to point out before we start reading one thing, and it seems to be very important to John, the author, uh, that he include this, but it's more more important than that. It must be important to Jesus because he says it. Uh, he's quoted as saying it over and over and over again, and that's the fact that God the Father sent Jesus. It's it's this is not a profound thing, but yet whenever you really analyze it, it is. It's very, very important because uh, we are warned that in the last days when you hear that the Messiah is over here or he's over there, um, don't go to them. Don't because um, they're not sent from the Father. Whenever Jesus comes back the second time, he will be sent again. Uh, just as he was the first time. I read the other day, there's a fella over in Russia that was arrested, and I I don't know how he got by with it for like 35 years with this cult following that he had, but it, it numbers in the, in the hundreds of thousands of followers. He claims to be Jesus. And, <clears throat> and then... In his claim, he says Jesus was not God, and and he doesn't claim to be God. However, he's claiming some godlike attributes, and and finally, the uh, Roman officials or the Roman, <laughs> the Russian, uh, they had enough against him. They arrested him, and I saw some pictures. And he, he's a pretty tall guy, and he's got the beard and long flowing gown all the way and covers his feet and and uh, and he still maintains that he is Jesus uh, reincarnated and so um, they're out there uh, it's it's real uh, surprises me how it can be but it is um, in verse 24 Jesus he, he uh, uses the statement in the middle of that verse, uh, my word, uh, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me. A reference to God sending him. In verse 30, uh, 
He says, uh, the Father who sent me, right at the end of that verse. And then over in verse 36, uh, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Verse 37, and the Father himself who sent me. Verse 38, uh, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. So over and over again, just in this passage, uh, it, Jesus refers to God the Father sent me. And <clears throat> that really infuriated the uh, religious people because there's nothing that gives him any more credence as to being the Messiah, being God in the flesh than the fact that the Father sent him. Um, So very important. Very important, uh, profound, but yet so simple. Um, Another thing that this passage does, and it's from Jesus' own words, it points out how that he himself can't truly be a witness of himself by just what he does or says. He lists all these other different people or things that are witnesses to who he is. Uh, What he's doing when he says that, that his witness isn't true is that would only be one and in the writings of Moses and the law it requires at least two witnesses for anything and Jesus says that my witness of who I am alone uh, it, it can't stand but here's all of these others that validate my witness and makes it true. And so um, he uh, begins there in verse 19. Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whoever he, or whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. What Jesus is doing here, he's showing that he and God the Father are like one. Uh, In John chapter 17, which I refer to as the real Lord's Prayer, he uh, is praying for disciples and and the church and different ones, but he says, "I, I would that you and I can be one, this this together, this one, even as my Father and I are one. And again, showing that unity. And so uh, that theme begins here, that goes throughout the book of John, this oneness, this unity with the Father. And again, that's so importantly. Um, he says, I can do nothing. Um, of myself 
Verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. In other words, Jesus is preparing them. There's going to be greater signs than what I've already done. There's going to be greater things. And you're going to marvel at it. Verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even though, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. So he's putting himself on a equal with God the Father, that God can give life, and he says, I can give life. Um, and only, obviously, only God can do that. Verse 22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Um, very important that uh, the same worship, honor, acknowledgement, um, whatever term you want to use there, the same thing you do for the Father, you need to do for the Son. And um, I might add, and later on he talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And we don't necessarily pray to the Holy Spirit. Um, we pray to God the Father, but the, all three are, are intertwined together. Uh, they're three separate, distinct uh, persons of the Godhead in their function and what they, what they, uh, what they do, but they're all connected, and then just like Jesus does the will of the Father, so will the Holy Spirit do the will of the Father, showing us that uh, God is three, but yet one. And you say, I can't grasp that. I, I don't, I, I can't, I'm, I'm just kind of like the old ancient Jew, um, I can't put my wrap my mind around that. God is is three, but yet He's just one. Well, I'll let you in on a secret. <laughs> no theologian, no student of the Bible has ever adequately figured that one out. And it's one of those things that, by faith, we just have to uh, accept it. We can use uh, all kinds of illustrations. Uh, water can be uh, vapor in a cloud. It can be liquid in a creek. It can be ice in Alaska, you know. Um, and you can have all three existing at the same time. You can, um, but that doesn't adequately explain. A triangle has three points or three sides but yet it's just one triangle. Well, that doesn't adequately explain it either. There's, there's many explanations about how the God is three but one, um, but we still can't figure it out. Uh, mystery, so a little bit of mystery there. Um, <clears throat> going on, 
Verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So there's, uh, in the King James, there's those words again, verily, verily I say to you that he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me. You see, it's, it's essential that we accept Jesus as our Savior to be saved, but it's also essential that we believe in God who sent him. Um, according to this verse, uh, because he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. So there's, there's that element of believing in God. Most assuredly, verse 25, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I think he's speaking there of the resurrection, but he could also be speaking of those uh, like Lazarus, who he will raise from the dead. But I think more importantly, he's speaking of the day that's coming of the resurrection. Um, And so those uh, who are believers, they hear the voice of, of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And you may ask at that point, as he's saying this, well, I thought we remained alive after we die. And yes, we do. But whenever he's referring to life here, that's eternal life that you enter into, and uh, you're there for the remainder of all eternity which has no end. Um, when, when we die, that's a, another issue uh, that's ahead for every one of us, unless you're among that group that gets to be raptured. Then you'll be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and caught up uh, with all others who are still alive uh, to meet the Lord in the air. But at the same time that's happening, the dead in Christ will rise. And, um, and together, those who are alive and those who have died, uh, caught up. And the easiest way to explain uh, death, it's even referred to in the scripture a lot of times. Uh, it's like going to sleep. And uh, the older I get, uh, uh, the more I like going to sleep. <laughs> uh, long about two thirty, three o'clock this afternoon. Uh, don't try to call me on the phone because I won't hear it. I'll, I'll be asleep. Uh, I don't fear falling asleep. Uh, that's that's a description of what it means to die. Now, what I do have a concern about are the events that will happen to my body prior to death, leading up to it. But the actual act of dying, uh, and and you stop and think about it, uh, the 
Well, the author of this book, the Apostle John, he died in the first century, uh, about, you know, 100 A.D. or so. And he went to sleep. And his uh, body uh, went back to dust, but his spirit went to be in the presence of the Lord. But I don't know that he has any consciousness right now of that because it's referred to as falling asleep. Well, he died back then. And then um, either way, I've got a limited number of years, uh, you know, uh, it's hard for me to get this wrapped around my mind that I am nearer to 70 than I am 60. (laughs) And uh, what happened to 50? And what happened to 40? Uh, It's gone. Well, I know. I, I don't have, you know, I don't have another 50 years. And so what will happen is I will die. And and then my body will go back to dust. And at the resurrection, then I will be raised. At the same time, the John is. And if I happen to be in the same area where he's raised, I probably won't be, but if I were, I'd look over at him and say, hey, you know, good deal, pretty good trip here. And and he, I, I could say, well, how long have you been there? He said, I don't know, I just went to sleep a few minutes ago. And I said, well, me too. I just went to sleep just a few minutes ago. I still remember where I was. Said, yeah, me too. My point is that that period of time is just going to go by like that for you. You're just going to wake up at the resurrection in the presence of the Lord. Until then, you will be resting. And you'll still be in the presence of the Lord, but you'll you'll be asleep. And uh, you're not going to have to worry about the length of time because when you awaken it's going to be just like it was yesterday you know I went to sleep last night and I didn't sleep very long last night but but not before I did both nights as far as while I was asleep seemed like the same length of time yet there was four hours difference between one night and the next from the time I went to sleep till I woke up, it was an instant. It was like, just like that. And that's the way it's going to be. Um, this everlasting life, most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Jesus is the life giver. Both life here on earth and then life hereafter. He's the giver of life. And the Father has granted this to the Son. 
all of these things are testimonies from God that this is my son, that he's honored, he's given him this uh, uh, life in, that he has inside of him. Uh, he's given him the right to exercise judgment, uh, all of those things. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, he's just condensing it there. Those who have done good or those who have done evil. Uh, You and I know that our works are not what saves us. Uh, Now, our works will be used to evaluate us. And at that evaluation, either condemned because you never accepted Jesus as your Savior, or you're granted life because you did accept him as your Savior. But then your works come to play on it because... um, a person who never comes to Christ, their sins are never forgiven. And so they are still marked as an evil person when they stand before God. You and I who know Jesus as our Savior, your sins were imputed to him. His righteousness is imputed to you. So when you stand before God... He's not going to see your sin. He's going to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You, in other words, the Bible speaks of it as you being clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It, it envelops you. And that is what's going to get you into eternal life, is the righteousness of Christ. But the voice of the Son of God is going to cause everybody to uh, resurrect. Verse 30, Jesus speaking, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own, my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus is so uniquely connected in this oneness, this unity with the Father that he can't do anything apart from the will of God. That that perfect unity. I can of myself do nothing. Verse 31, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. And that's what I was explaining, that if he is, if that's the only witness that there is, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the sent one, well, then he says, my witness wouldn't be true. And though he doesn't say it here, what follows uh, is his sort of a rough outline of the different people, events, and things that have testified of Jesus and who he is. 
Verse 32, there is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, that'd be John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. And you remember in the earlier uh, opening uh, of the book of John that John the Baptist uh, he spoke of Jesus. Uh, Behold, the Lamb of God, which comes to take away the sins of the world, and and those kind of things. He, he uh, his purpose was to testify of Jesus, and so Jesus points out, "You, this is this is the first one," and and yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. In other words, he's saying, this is the, if it was rungs on the ladder, this would be the bottom rung. This is really not that important that we have testimony of man. Because Jesus knows what's in our heart. We'll testify of him one day and deny him the next. And, you know, Peter is an example of that. Um, And so... Uh, Even though he points him out, he says, it's not that important. Verse 35, he was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. Um, Again, speaking of John the Baptist, verse 36, but I have a greater witness than John's for the works of which the Father has given me to finish the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. The works that I do. Um, So as we go through the book of John, you'll see that he refers to a lot of these as signs. And there's seven, there's, there's more than seven, but there's seven major signs in the book of John that testify to who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, There's something greater than John the Baptist. It's the works that I do. And uh, the scripture uh, pointed out that when Messiah comes, he will be doing these works. And Jesus refers to the scripture in verse 39. You Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. And so uh, there's something else that testifies of Jesus, uh, the scripture. And he's uh, saying, your salvation isn't found in the word itself or in keeping the word. The word testifies of me. And I'm the one who saves you. I'm, I'm the Savior. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. I, I know that was true of the Jewish religious leaders of that day. But I think it's also true of many folks today. Uh, I've run into some guys uh, in my life, men, women, who, um, I mean, they can quote the the Bible. They, 
uh, they can dance circles around me. They can just quote, you know. And I'm amazed at some of these people, at their mind, at how they can read and just remember. Um, I have to read it over and over and over and over, and, and then I still can't quote it. Um, People will memorize scripture, they have it, and they think that in doing that, that they know God, that they are saved. And what Jesus is saying here, wait a minute, wait a minute, that, that scripture that you are studying and, and memorizing, that points to me. It's like driving down a road and you see a sign that says, you know, Stephenville, seven miles away or something. Um, It's pointing to Stephenville. The sign isn't Stephenville. It's pointing to it. The word is alive and sharp as a two-edged sword. It's God's word, but it's not the Savior. And yet... God, or Jesus, says that it is so important that in in the book of Psalms, it says this, that, that he elevates his word above his name. And so it's very important. The scripture is important because you can never truly find Jesus without the word, but it's not the word that saves you. That's what he's saying. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. He's speaking to some of these religious people. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And that has been so true down through the ages. Uh, All the different cults and things that have uh, arisen that have a man as a leader, and people flock to him, and uh, it's still happening today. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. And he's pointing out that Moses and what he wrote is another testimony. He says in verse 46, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so, as you can see, as we go through this, um, this passage is so uh, interwoven around the theme of the Father has sent the Son and all of these different ones, John the Baptist, well, the Father testifies first, and then John the Baptist and the Word, and 
and the works that Jesus does. And then lastly, Moses, they all testify of me, of who I am. Um, I find that uh, very, very significant. Um, and what what this passage should do, uh, you'll have people that come two by twos to your door. And if you happen to get in a discussion with them, they will deny that Jesus is God. And uh, And yet you can go to the scripture and point out just like a passage like this and say, look look at all these things that Jesus himself says, testify of me. And there's no denying it. Here, here it is, you know. Uh, all of these things testify of who I am, uh, that I am uh, who I say I am. Uh, I am the great I am. Uh, and incidentally, there are seven of those I am statements in the book of John, too, uh, where he's making it very clear he and the Father are one. They're the same. He's God. Pretty good stuff, huh? Yeah? Well, shall we close with a word of prayer? Father, thank you that... Uh, this has been recorded for us to read and look at and study and to learn from. Thank you. And thank you that you have first so loved us that you sent your son, Jesus, to be our Savior, to die on the cross for us. Thank you, Father, for that. And that through him we have a relationship with you. And through him we have hope. In this world we don't have hope. But in you, we do. And we thank you for that, Father. And Father, I ask that uh, as we all leave this place this morning, that you just open up your windows there in heaven and pour out a blessing of everyone. And uh, bless the week that's ahead of them, Father. In Jesus' name.